on the air and streaming on the web since 1996. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Today on Soundtrack Alley Spotlight, Eric Woods and I will be discussing and really going deep on Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. This is the final moment, people. We'll discuss the cast, background, and actually the excellent score by John Williams. It's all today, and it begins now. I am your host, Randy Andrews. Today, I've got Eric Woods with me. Eric, it's great to have you here again. Great to be back again. Let's do this. Yep. We're digging into the hopeful final Indiana Jones movie that will ever be made. Yeah, you know that's not going to (laughs) happen. Well, he is almost 80. He is, but hey, you know what? (sighs) They're going to do it. They're going to try. <laughs> and it's going to be miserable. But Steven Spielberg isn't even a part of the project anymore. True. That's right. Well, he'll probably be a producer, but he's not directing anymore. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Um. So we've got some really interesting background on the film. I found it kind of interesting that, of course... Harrison Ford does all his own stunts. Sure. Or most of them anyway in this to movie. Most, yeah, to, yeah, to a point, yes. To, to a certain degree. Yeah. And one of the things I noted at the very beginning of the movie was that he still was swinging with the whip. And, <laughs> and, uh, and one of the comedic moments is when he swings and he doesn't get to the truck in front of him and he jumps, he swings back and lands in the Jeep. <laughs> And he's like, I thought that was closer. Yeah, that's a yeah, it's a good gag. I I mean, I I saw that first in the trailer, and I thought that's exactly what needs to happen. He he has to miss his mark mm-hmm. a few times. I'm not a big fan of kind of the old man groan that he gives when he's uh, swinging back, but the you know the line of him, you know, thinking it was closer, and then you know him overtaking the truck was was pretty good. What I did notice though, and I think I noticed it in the trailer as well, and and I can't confirm it, but mm-hmm. um, you know when Indiana Jones jumps off those boxes and tries to get in, you can sort of see a point where, again, I'm, I'm not confirming this, but you can see it. And, and and once I say this, it's hard to unsee. But you know Harrison Ford as Indy is jumping up on the boxes, and then as he kind of runs across, I'm pretty sure there's a weird warp effect that's happening where Harrison Ford actually transforms into a stunt double. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think Harrison Ford actually jumped off the boxes. Oh, okay. Um, and, and, and swung the whip and jumped off. I'm pretty sure that was his stunt double just because I see this weird, if you look at the way he runs, there's a little bit of a weird 
like stutter or a mm-hmm. transformation. And I've been watching them like, that's so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Now him swinging and doing that whole thing back into the truck. Yeah. I mean, you could tell that's him. That was him. But it's the jump off the boxes and him swinging the whip. I'm like, that's that looks like it's probably his stunt double. It's great. If you're not looking for it, mm-hmm. it's still wonderful. But I'm pretty sure. And, it's, and, and it happens when Indiana Jones hits the shadows for just a second. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're able to warp from Harrison Ford to the stunt double. Yeah. But besides that, it's still cool. It's really neat. An interesting way to start that whole that whole chase in the in the warehouse that I wish ran a lot longer than it did. Yeah, and one thing, I mean, we're already getting into the music of this movie already at the beginning sure. of the movie because it's so iconic. It's we have the established character of Indiana Jones and you're not thrown into a pre-adventure. You're right. thrown into another current adventure for indiana jones and this is what's good about this movie um because it gives us a realism that we're already engaged in an adventure that indiana jones is going along with and he is being coerced he's having to put up with these people these russians and that's what i like about it is even when he grabs his hat you get the classic theme for Indiana Jones. Yeah, and I I will disagree on a couple of those points just okay. because for me I think the fact that we've jumped directly into the main narrative that then things start to drag a bit. And what's so great about kind of the opening you know, previous adventure, the ending of a previous adventure, and then we finally go into a new one, is, uh, is you know, you can, it, it, it just, nothing seems to be <laughs> filler. Yeah. And, and, you know, even the whole warehouse scene, I thought probably should have been a little bit later on in the movie because it's a really a major discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really the only kind of big discovery of the picture because even when he finds the crystal skull there really is nothing special about it mm-hmm. unlike when he unearthed the ark which again halfway through Raiders of the Lost Ark when he found the Shankara stones after you know uh, whipping down to the temple and, and stealing them before uh, you know turning back and wanting to save the kids that's halfway through the movie um, we don't even see the grail until the um, the end of, of Last Crusade but here, all of a sudden, we're seeing, you know, the, the alien, uh, mm-hmm. which I guess is one of many, but still mm-hmm. it's a major discovery. And it just seems like something that could have been left to about the middle of the film. We could have had a bit more of a mystery where mm-hmm. it just seemed like by the time we were halfway through, the mystery was gone. Now we just have to return this to the temple. And and as much as that ending, I think, is actually quite spectacular, just the the whole mystery and discovery of the MacGuffin is something that I think is lacking in this film. And mm-hmm. even, even the way that they find, like I said, the crystal skull, it's just so nonchalant. They just stumble upon it. That's where it is. And so be it. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, so what are we doing now? And that's where I find that some of the drama is lost in this 
picture. I mean, don't get me wrong. The whole warehouse thing is great. Mm -hmm. But if we could have extended that to like a wonderful, like if that could have been like the jungle chase, you know, from what I heard, I think in Frank Darabont's uh, original screenplay for um, this film, which I think was called Indiana Jones and the City of Gods. Mm -hmm. uh, He said he he wrote like the the action scene to end all action scenes. Mm -hmm. And they were just going to be whizzing by left, right and center through all of these, you know, uh, narrow alleys. And it was going to be an incredible car chase through the warehouse. But on top of that, I still think that the best fight that we could have got between the Russian baddie in Indiana Jones Mm -hmm. happened with the rocket. And I think it would have been a wonderful scene to see, you know, uh, because the Russian a uh, bad guy, you know, had he had chains and he was whipping those at Indy. Mm-hmm. And if Indy had his whip and he was whipping it at him, it could have been a great like kind of chains versus whip sequence. And that could have been quite interesting to be kind of the big fight because who knows what could have happened down there. And they just kind of like it happened for a couple of seconds and 30 seconds later, the rush, though, the rocket goes off and, and that's it. Um, I think that that whole sequence if you had saved that kind of the middle of the film or made mm-hmm. that your big action sequence, I think that would have served the film better. That way you can get into maybe actually seeing him in Mexico mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, digging for like just kind of the, the most ordinary things ever. And then he has to escape from that and then gets kidnapped. And then, you know, later on, we finally see where they have taken him. Mm-hmm. And and I think that would have been like he could have been, you know, they could have uh, shoved him into the trunk closed it, everything goes dark, and then finally we're then into the movie. But you could have had something really neat, I think, at the beginning that isn't just like, hey, we're right into the movie, mm-hmm. which kind of breaks with tradition of the of the other three films. Yeah. But that's just my opinion. Really? You have a good point there. And actually, your version sounds really exciting. <laughs> 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 and that's what I wanted. There yeah. really wasn't a whole lot of, I mean, there was some, you know, there's some chases and some action sequences, but just nothing felt like they got the blood pumping. Mm. And that's kind of what I missed from this film. And um, it, there was a bit of it in that warehouse chase. And I think if that was just extended a little bit more, mm-hmm. I think it could have been really, really interesting and fun because there was a sense of danger and peril, mm-hmm. but it just ended so fast. You know, that whole yeah. countdown with the rocket, I thought was, oh my God, what's going to happen? It's really neat, <laughs> yeah. but it was like 30 seconds. Once you got yeah. down there, it was over. Mm-hmm. And yeah. but And it was almost played for, I mean, it was a tense moment, but it was almost played for laughs. Like most of the action sequences, yeah. It seemed more, uh, more um, kind of slapsticky, mm-hmm. comedic, um, Nothing like uh, the desert chase and nothing like the minecar chase. Mm-hmm. Nothing like, I mean, there's some, there are some jokes here and there, you know, within those sequences, but they aren't really played as kind of as lighthearted as they are in um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been started with Last Crusade, but that works with the characters. Yeah. You know, and like, even... I mean, to go along with that, um, because like you talk about characters, like uh, in Last Crusade, we've got his father and Mm -hmm. um, Brody and 
they both are not in this movie. Right. And that was, go ahead. Yeah. And not not having the dad was a mistake because he was actually in the original Frank Darabont script as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I understand that that story was already told the problem, the biggest problem, um, one of the biggest problems in kingdom of the crystal skulls, there is zero chemistry between (laughs) Indy and mutt. There is none. Oh yeah. There's no, it's just, it's like uh, animosity, angst, mutt's a, just seems like a terrible human being, although he does care for Oxley, and I, be- I believed that wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. and I thought that was quite touching, and that was the most kind of touching um, human element about this entire film, and mm-hmm. that was only um, shown a couple of times. And I, and think I like that was, Oxley. And I find that Oxley's okay. I just think John Hurt was wasted as an mm-hmm. actor. Yeah. Um, Oxley, he was fine, but... Again, I, th- I just think there's too many characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff that happens. you're trying to catch up with each character, and it's right. like there's, there's too many to yeah. keep track of. And that's the thing. You've got, you've got this father-son relationship that really isn't happening until it's revealed in the quicksand. Then all of a sudden, Marion shows up, and now you have to deal with that. But now we're halfway into the film, mm-hmm. and... And that could have been a way more interesting if they had met earlier and mm-hmm. maybe even just in, it shouldn't, maybe shouldn't have been Mutt in India. It could have been Marion in India meeting mm-hmm. somewhere and having, you know, a, a character driven conversation to get us back into that. Instead, it was just a bunch of exposition as to, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. And then all of a sudden they fall in love with each other again. It's. And they get married, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh my god! Just because of like you, you spent a couple of hours with them um, in <laughs> in in Peru, and it just it it it, it seemed forced. It mm-hmm. was great to see her back. I think there's a way that you can bring back Marion, introduce a, a a kid earlier on in the movie, and 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 make it mean something and and let us care. But mm-hmm. it just the way it was, there was five or six characters doing a whole bunch of different stuff. And really Indy wasn't the one doing hardly anything mm-hmm. um, in this movie. Um, he just seemed to be kind of like following along and, and sort of figuring things out. But it just, it just seemed like he was just going along and, and just kind of like floating along and nothing was interesting was really, was really happening. Yeah. To, to, just to me, but there's a structure problem. That's a screenplay problem. I don't mind the story. I don't mind the idea. I love that they are exploring B-movies and aliens and the Cold War. I think that all fits in Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. I just think the execution, and I don't think Spielberg's in the game. I no. think he just said yes a lot to George Lucas. George Lucas had a lot of crazy bad ideas. Mm. And it was like, well, George Lucas is paying the tab. So, I, you know, if George Lucas wants to nuke the fridge, then let's nuke the fridge. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Indiana you know Jones I mean? did. I mean, Jones did find himself in a nuclear test site, so he had to protect himself sure. some way. Right, and I don't think they, <laughs> I think I th- I'm okay with him being in a fridge. Yeah, I think it's just the way that you know he was punted about you know 12 miles down the Nevada desert. And was rolling around like he would have been dead. And then like, everybody's like, well, you know, there's a suspension of disbelief. And, you know, like, I mean, he jettisons himself out of an airplane in a in a raft. And 
Uh, he does all these other crazy things in the movies, but it just, those stunts seem plausible. This, he's in a lead-lined fridge and just getting absolutely rattled around. And, you know, he he's hardly bruised and hardly injured. I think there's a way they could have done it where, you know, he wasn't shot so far from his original space. And mm-hmm. maybe the... Maybe it just appeared that way. You know, I, I, it just, like, maybe the cloud, you know, dissipates and... You know, he's still there and, and then finally comes out. I don't know. But I will say that the, you know, him getting out and then looking at that mash, mushroom cloud is one of the most powerful images mm-hmm. in the entire Indiana Jones saga. It's like, wow, this isn't your same old Indiana Jones. No. This is a different time. It's and, the 50s. So. And this is dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I think, wow, this is really crazy. This is really different. And it's such an amazing uh, visual. So there's so many things that I don't think they executed well, but I think there's a lot of great things as, in the movie as well. And it's just so uneven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, when we're discussing Indy's age, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay to have that final confrontation, final adventure for Indiana yeah. Jones, because, um, some people, I guess, were thinking that they should have uh, some of his action scenes CGI and everything. But uh, there was something that if when asked if Harrison Ford was too old uh, to be Indiana Jones, Frank Marshall, he had quoted Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's not the years, it's the mileage. And he explained that it would be interesting to see Indy in a different decade. Um, The age also added to Indy that he was fallible and that he was a believable character. And Harrison Ford spent three hours a day at a gym and subsisted of high-protein diet of fish and vegetables to build his body into the condition where he could perform his own stunts, which he kept himself fit anyway. Even when you look at other movies during that time, he was pretty fit uh, in whatever movie he was doing. Uh, But Steven Spielberg even later stated that he was impressed with Ford's form and how he could not tell the difference between the shoots for the third and fourth movies. So, I mean, in some ways, that's actually pretty good. It gives you some evidence to the reality of the character. Because in this, he was portraying a character who was like 56, but he was actually 66. I mean, you know, real age. He was actually 66 in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, I mean, for me... I think it adds some realism to show that Harrison Ford, yes, as Indiana Jones, this should be his final adventure. Yes, I have no problem with the age gap. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I think the the film probably should have been made uh, ten years earlier. Yeah, um, it, he he doesn't look he doesn't look bad. And, 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 but I think the only reason I say that is that we probably could have 
got a couple more films in um, during that time. You know, we have, a, if we have an Indiana Jones movie coming out in the, the late 90s, mm-hmm. you could probably get a couple more made um, after that time. But it's, you know, now they're thinking about making a fifth one and Harrison Ford's like 78 years old. Yeah. He's looking a bit frail. Um, and maybe well, they'll work that into his character, but I just can't imagine a 78 year old being dressed up in a leather jacket and khakis and a brown fedora anymore, <laughs> whipping around, no. you know, the, the world trying to find something, Yeah, but who knows, they might do something interesting. Different. And, you know, we got the Logan director working on it and I don't necessarily want to see it go down the Logan route, no. which I think is a fantastic movie. But I think exploring him later in his life and maybe being forced into something um, might be interesting. But I never really saw this as kind of his final adventure. Um, I don't think they really set it up that way, but maybe they did with the marriage. And it was like, that was it. That was complete. I think it should Um, be. But I think that uh, going back to his age, I'm I'm fine with it. I, I thought he looked the part. I mean, when I saw that first publicity picture that came out mm-hmm. i thought wow he looks pretty darn good mm-hmm. and he didn't look frail he didn't look out of place the only time he did was when he he used the whip a couple of times in in some close-ups and it just looked so slow and weird um like when he whipped the gun out of the russian's hand in the warehouse mm-hmm. and then when he um you know handed the whip over to um Oh, what's his buddy's name? Um, uh, oh, jeez. I don't remember his name. This is how memorable this movie <laughs> is. Um, oh, God. Uh, uh, you know, the triple agent. Um, yeah. <laughs> darn it. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. What's his name? Moxley? No. I no, don't. no, no, no. Mac. Uh, Mac. Mac. I mean, Ray Winstone's yeah. fantastic. I like yeah. him a lot. I really didn't like his character. But I like that there was, you know, there was some experience. Again, I would love to have seen Colonel, you know, Henry Jones Jr., um, you know, spying for the for the for the United States, you know, against the Reds and mm-hmm. all of his adventures and, and everything, because there's a whole pile of time between Last Crusade and, and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And they explain that, um, you know, after the warehouse chase, yeah. uh, you know, what he has done and his credentials. And I'm like. That's pretty neat. And another neat aspect of this film, which they could have gone down, was that the FBI was supposed to be kind of keeping their eye on him. Yeah, and I thought tabs. that would have been really cool too to make kind of like Indiana Jones into a into a spy movie, mm-hmm. and that would have been a lot of fun. But you know, the fact that Indiana Jones has some extra experience, um, I think, is is fantastic, um, and and seem kind of you know, struggle at the end of his career as a teacher. And again, I kind of wish that, you know, he wasn't brought back Mm -hmm. um, as the associate dean at the end of the movie. It just felt like, no, maybe he should be done with teaching. Yeah. He's he's finished. And that would seem kind of like uh, a finale. Maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe with, if they make a final movie, which I really hope they don't, because they really don't need to. <laughs> um, but if if he were to come back, he'd have a bit role. He wouldn't even be the lead character. Uh, who knows? Who because, knows really? 
Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, he'd have to be. We could go on and on about this. Oh, we could go on and on about, I mean, I, I, uh... I, look, I've, I've had an interesting story about how Indiana Jones can be brought back and, mm-hmm. and what they could do. And really, if they want to make this a, a, like a fan friendly, uh, adventure mm-hmm. and I mean, go full out. Um, there's so many people that you, there's, there's just one particular person that you could cast. Um, and I know we're getting off, off topic here a bit, it's but okay. I mean, if they're going to take, if they're going to make an Indiana Jones five, we're talking about make, Indiana Jones yeah. here. So we, we but if they're do this, this. I mean, and you want to do it right. Like get, let's, let's just forget about four. That's just, mm-hmm. let's, you know, let's just set it aside a bit because it really isn't that great. You really want to send this character off. Then you have him do a complete globe trotting adventure. Mm-hmm. where he has to go to the four corners of the world to find something. Mm-hmm. But who is the guy that is going to one-up him the whole time? Yeah. And I think it would be, and don't like make him passing, a brother. No, like make a, him, make a him, Make him another, a... like not not a Belloc. No, not even that. Not even somebody young. And don't even necessarily make him a Belloc, but do no. make him somebody that maybe he went to school with, or maybe mm-hmm. this was a somebody that he had heard of but my god you hire tom Selleck to be the guy that he goes up with because tom Selleck was the original indiana jones he couldn't do it because of his commitment to magnum Mm pi you have Selleck and harrison ford in the last indiana jones venture and you have the two indiana joneses going at each other for the whole movie Mm -hmm. and one is up up you know one upping the other one and they and they do a true globe trotting adventure to find something crazy and then make mm-hmm. it make it atlantis mm-hmm. you know because I mean, that that seems to be something that i just or you know what Nessa, or go to the bermuda triangle mm-hmm. make that your mystery that's your final spot right but yeah have, make them have to find four different things from around the world that connects to something there and it yeah. just that brings out the mysticism the mystery the conflict Mm-hmm. And you can, you don't have to have Harrison Ford's kid or Indiana mm-hmm. Jones's kid. You no. don't have to have Marion. You can have her as a bit part. Maybe they're living together. Maybe she gets kidnapped, but that's already happened. Maybe <laughs> something happens to her, you know? And maybe we show that, you know, Indy's out on a, on another dig with his mm-hmm. students and something happens to his students on a dig because of something that happened to Indiana Jones in the past. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden he's like, I can't put my kids out in danger. Mm-hmm. And so he quits. And now he's in isolation, but then somebody brings him back because they're forcing him into something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and he has to put on the fedora one last time because mm-hmm. he has to save the world. I don't know. Just do something that hey, I Eric, think doing that. You just, it would be, you just explained a really good concept for and a I comic. wrote the screenplay for like a comic book. 30 I mean, years it, ago. It, it, makes, <laughs> it makes complete sense, you know? To right? Be, it would just be so much fun. Yeah. It like, just go to, and like, go to. Um, go to somewhere cold, like go to Alaska, mm-hmm. and because yep. he he really hasn't done that. Um, and go to God, go to places that you haven't been yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would just be go to Russia. Yeah, you know, it would be fascinating. It would be really fascinating. But I'm trying to think of like what the timeline would be. Well, so think about this: 60s or 70s. Yeah, because it would it probably probably 60s. Um, it would have to be the 60s. Yeah. Uh, because 50s, I mean, he, it's in the 50s in this movie. Right. So we're looking at 10 more years. Oh, it's 67? Yeah. So, I mean, try to figure out what's going on in the world then. Mm-hmm. And to try to incorporate it. But anyway, it's, 
it's just that if you want to really send them off, mm-hmm. then send them off in a big way. And I don't yeah. think Indy Four was a send off in a big way. No, it it wrapped up a few plot points, like what happened to Brody, what happened to you know Henry Jones Senior. Mm-hmm. You know, marrying and Indy getting married. There's a son. I just think that there's there's something that can happen that gets them back for Indy Five, and if if it's not if it's not severe enough, I don't mm-hmm. think that. He just can't go on another adventure. No. That's the thing. It has to be something that's forcing his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Like he just, that, he's compelled. He's driven. He right. can't stop. It's like, it's like stopping the end of the world. Right. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's that important. And the only one that can do it is Indiana Jones. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think that would have been kind of neat. But um, but also, think about this, though, that we do get a bridge of the gap between Last Crusade and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It may have been a bit part, but with Indiana Jones and the Mystery of the Blues, which is young mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. we get older Indy which is Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. and he's in a truck with some guy, and they're in frozen snow, and they're driving along this this path. Yep. They end up at this cabin, and that's part of the story. That's part of the Indiana Jones story, and I wish they would have started there. Like, being able to give us more of an adventure with what Indiana Jones was facing right at that time period. Mm. 90s, early, I mean, late 90s would have been perfect for a new Indiana Jones movie before Kingdom of the Crystal Skull ever came yeah. out. Yeah, I I think Harrison Ford still looked, you know, looked the part, looked young enough. and And again, we could have had of new trilogy and, and, and many more interesting adventures. It's just, it's amazing how they couldn't have come up with a, a story. And I, and I think George Lucas is the one that just had all these extreme ideas and mm-hmm. Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas kept on kind of like butting heads. And you heard it in the news all the time. It was like, are we doing another Indian Jones? And the excuse was always, we got to find a good story. Mm-hmm. And it took them that long to find eventually what we got was kingdom of the crystal skull. I'm like, that's the best you guys could come up with. Yeah. Like really? Hmm. And that's where it's that's where it's frustrating because you yeah. had all that time, but it just mm-hmm. seemed like it, I think there was even a part where even Harrison Ford said like, you know, you got to you've got to do it by this point or I'm not going to do it at all. Yeah. And all of a sudden yeah, I think it was that like, right, was in my notes somewhere. Oh, really? Okay, cuz <laughs> we've got to find, find it, something but yeah. and we've got to mash this together so we can get it out by 2008. And um and I think that was the problem. Mm-hmm. That was a big problem. It was just too well along it was too i just uh, I think people was, had forgotten about indiana jones oh they and they definitely have it's not a big enough property for mm-hmm. like lucasfilm as, as star wars mm-hmm. um i don't think it's something that if they don't make another one it doesn't really hurt them mm-hmm. um unlike star wars where you just you got a giant fan base there's no indie conventions mm-hmm. you know there's no you know, celebration of Indiana Jones. And even if it is, it's kind of like, oh, well, Indiana Jones turned 
45. Okay. <laughs> but whereas, yeah. like, if it's Star Wars, it's like, Star Wars has turned 40, and it's like a big celebration. Where yeah. were you when this and that and this? And it, it just doesn't seem that type of franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, much... It's a much more... It's almost a cult following. I I just think the audience... We've grown older. <laughs> the people that grew up on it. No, yeah. seriously, we, no, we, we this is what we, we grew are. Up yeah, on. yeah. Honestly, back in '81, you had never seen anything like it before. Mm-mm. Um, he was a very popular character at that point. I mean, that film was a Best Picture Academy Award nominee. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a special. This movie. one didn't win anything. No, it didn't. Like it and, didn't I mean, even get nominated. No, no, and that's the thing. Like even Temple of Doom. The film that everybody seems to hate, which I love. Yeah, um, I, I love that movie. Yeah. And, and even Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. And that seemed like a beloved kind of trilogy, at, which ended so perfectly. And it just, the time ran out mm-hmm. uh, on Indiana Jones. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether audiences today would necessarily connect embrace with it. it. Yeah, connect it because they've seen it all before. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know what you can do differently. Well, um, you know, think about this. Now, I mean, this may be a conversation about, I mean, we are discussing Indiana Jones. However, um, modern filmmaking isn't what it should be. Um, when you think about it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people don't appreciate a good story anymore. Or they they may not realize that they can appreciate a good story, right? Because well, and here's they're and sorry, getting. I'm, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, you know, and and we're talking about story, and we're talking about what Indiana Jones Five, um, can be. Um, the thing about what really makes, um, the addition of, um. Oh, what's his name? Uh, the Logan director. Is it... Uh, oh, man, my, my brain's just not working today. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I'm going to get it in a second. Uh, James Mangold. That's who I thought it was. Oh, okay. I'm... The only way you can really make this different is if you make this a character study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, 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 really, you really do a Logan for Indiana Jones. It is... It is dead serious. Mm-hmm. It is, it's Indiana Jones struggling with his age and maybe him being, you know, he's not the same person that he was before. No. And, and, and this is how he, he struggles with it. And, and I don't think you kill him off, Mm-mm. but I think this would be it. Like this would be like the last hurrah, but this is like definitely a, who is Indiana Jones? Yeah. Who is he now? And how is he dealing with this? There can still be action, right? Mm-hmm. But but I think that the only way that you can make this really different is you do, do not make a traditional Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, I think people are going to hate that idea. <laughs> but I think that it might be different enough that, I mean, could you imagine Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones doing something like Hugh Jackman did for Logan? Mm. And how special that actually could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and how different that could be. And I mean, we could still enjoy the adventures that he had in the the, the other four films, but you really want to do something different. Even this do is what a, you do. Even do a, 
like a montage of like events that previously happened. Totally. I mean, totally. It's like, you know, you could have like things that beat him down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, the scene with Raiders of the Lost Ark and he's by that plane and he's getting beat up by that, that boxer guy. Sure. You know, or but even, but even better than that, you show him, I don't know. It opens with him sitting at a bar Mm -hmm. and he's got an eye patch because remember in young Indiana Jones, old Indy had an eye patch. Mm-hmm. And you show Harrison Ford the age that he is right now, and maybe he's sitting at a bar, and maybe he's telling a story to some kid, mm-hmm. you know, who's like, hey, I know who you are. Aren't you Dr. Jones? I had you as my, you were my prof so many years ago. I wondered what happened to you. We haven't seen you for such a long time. And then maybe he's like, hey, well, you know, you know, back in, back in 62, you know, I was out <laughs> yeah. on doing this. And then you just do a quick flashback. You mm-hmm. add, you know, and then, oh yeah, then in 64, but you like for the first like 20 minutes, he just tells how awful his life is. And then he's like, well, what brought you to the bar? And then all of a sudden you get your main adventure, your main story. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's just an amazing character study on an old Indiana Jones, which mm-hmm. I think might be Well, th- then we, then we're looking at the quest. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, seriously. The, the movie, the quest. Right. With, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Cause right. that's what he was. In the beginning of the movie, sitting in a bar, old man, and he beat up three guys. (laughs) Hey, anything, but still anything like that, I think would be like, I think that just, that might be different enough that it might actually become like a critical favorite. Not everybody's Mm going to go see it, but I think that eventually it would become something special. But anyway, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just trying to think of something that they could do differently than what they did with Indy 4, which seemed to be the old formula that just didn't seem to work. And also think about this, that Steven Spielberg, he brought on that uh, Janus Kaminsky. Oh, Janus Kaminsky. Yeah, Janus Kaminsky. And he shot all of Spielberg's movies since Schindler's List. Correct. And he was replacing the retired cinematographer, Douglas... uh, Slocum. Slocum, yeah. Yep. And they worked... He worked on the previous Indiana Jones movies, and Spielberg refused to modernize the photography, which possibly could have altered everything. Because if he would have updated the photography... The the scenery, everything could have looked a little bit better. You think? And here's where this is the this is one of the biggest issues that I do have with this film is its cinematography. Uh, yeah, Janusz kept Kaminsky, it in like a comic book style. Well, and I don't mind the Technicolor. I mean, mm-hmm. they they both watched Spielberg and Kaminsky watched the other three films, and Spielberg was adamant that hey, we have got to get that. Real rich, saturated, um, Technicolor look that Slocum shot. I mean, those movies are beautiful. Like when you see a blue mm-hmm. sky, it is a gorgeous deep blue sky. Mm-hmm. When you're seeing faces, they have wonderful skin tone. Everything is very sharp. The lighting mm-hmm. is it, the key lighting is just it's it's dead on. There's no mm-hmm. farting around with the lights. Yeah. The problem that In I have one, with yeah. Well, I'll get to this one, but Janusz Kaminski, for as brilliant as he is, I mean, think about the way that he lensed Schindler's List, very special movie, mm-hmm. the way that he lensed uh, Saving Private Ryan, 
what he did, the way that he, you know, stripped the film stock, made that look, gave that, that classic now, you know, desaturated, real dirty look. Um, the, the way that he shot Minority Report, mm-hmm. you know, he's able to give these films their own kind of special color well, palette. Had, However, had like a noir. It, it, but it, it was more, um, it was more like blue hues. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff was very blown out. It had its own real special gritty uh, graininess to it. Mm-hmm. But then you look at some of the other films that he shot. Like I think Bridge of Spies looks terrible. Mm, um, I don't know. I think I, 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 I think find his okay. lighting. I think his lighting is so. It was dark. It's not so much that. It's just the way that he's blasting light, completely overexposing light. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I get that. Yeah, it, it just and and the, the oh god, it's so desaturated. Almost almost could be a black and white movie. It just looks so off putting. Um, but then you know, like he shoots something like the terminal, which is fine. Um, mm-hmm. But what I the biggest problem that I have with this is that Spielberg wanted that Slocum look, and it's a specific look, mm-hmm. very specific look. And Kaminsky was like, "Yeah, but how can we make it a bit more contemporary?" And it's like, no. So the yeah. problem is that you do have a contemporary, you have somewhat of a contemporary color palette. Things are looking a bit more pastel-y. Mm-hmm. Um, shots are way more soft than they have to be. But this is yeah. something that Kaminsky does time and time again. And the look, that sort of look and doing some contemporary update of Slocum's look, just because it was 20 years later. Mm-hmm was the wrong thing to do because the film i think looks ugly Mm -hmm. it's really really ugly because of these kind of like this muted color palette that is so just soft it kind of looks cartoony yes it does it doesn't help when you bring in the special effects and the cgi and everything just looks fake well And and even some of the lighting just looks so phony baloney it really really does let me give an example uh at the very beginning of the movie where you have the russians come Uh out from the vehicle and the one lead russian who's the main uh muscle bad guy yep um i don't know what his name is anyway it doesn't matter uh (laughs) and he he bends down to tie his shoe yeah and the t- four guards come up behind oh. him. <laughs> what do you think of that? That looked like a cartoon. It did not look real. No. It it looked like all four of those guards were on a separate stage. Yeah. And the lead Russian wasn't even in the same room. Yeah. It just it's looked as if somebody weird. Was bouncing. Yeah, it's as if somebody had a bounce of the sun. Yeah. Um, kind of on the gold side instead of the silver side mm-hmm. and and just bounce this heart this this light off him that would just look like oh my god this looks so bad but even that scene is bizarre because did everybody else not see the four guys that were behind him or did he have to bend down to tie his shoes and then all of a sudden these guys just appeared and shot everybody i mean seriously yeah look at the way it's set up how did nobody notice that these guys were behind him mm-hmm. but yeah. you're right was even, he that even, big <laughs> no, he, exactly. <laughs> right? I'm like, wait a minute. How did they not see him? But then when Spalco comes out, yeah. that lighting looks all just, it it just like, there's something not right about it. And, and Kaminsky does this, 
countless times as well, I find a lot of his lighting looks very, very fake, mm-hmm. very fake. And I mean, however, in saying that, there are some great shots. There are mm-hmm. some great scenes. Like when Indy's being interrogated and he's being, um, uh, you know, uh, when they uh, he connects with the crystal skull. Yeah. It's a real good looking scene. I think it the, is because it's darker. <laughs> right, you're right, you're right. Anything it's in the dark is fine. It's inside a tent. It's inside <laughs> a right. tent. Yeah, those colors look those colors look nice. Those colors look natural. Um, even in the temple at the end, I thought that looked pretty amazing. But that is a great set design. Um, but I think that overall, it just there's this weird glow, soft glow and mm-hmm. muted palette that's nowhere near what Slocum wanted to what came up with. And to say that they tried, mm-hmm. well, then they failed. Yeah. Miserably. And oh, I just don't, yeah. I don't understand why he felt like he needed to make it look more contemporary just because it was 20 years later. Who cares? Yeah. Just shoot the movie. Yep. Stop fiddling with it. Yep. And another thing that I think we could have done without was having Indy say, I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, because that's not an Indiana Jones thing. No, it isn't. That is trust a me, Han Solo is. thing. Yes, and it's funny. And it's instead, Marion says it. Says, "Trust me." Yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was funny too. Yeah, it's like the it's like the "love you, I know" thing from Return of the Jedi. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. right. Yeah. So I think Marion. Okay. I think Marion saying "trust me" was actually kind of funny. Yeah. Um, All right. So briefly, we had talked about Shia LaBeouf. We need yeah. we need to address the elephant in the room. He actually ruined this movie. <laughs> he did. Um, he did because even he criticized the movie. Yeah, um, I got him in trouble. <laughs> there was oh yeah by leaps and bounds. Yeah, like he um, he had said you get a monkey swinging and things like that, and you can blame it on the writer and you can blame it on Steven Spielberg. But the actor's job is to make it come alive and make it work, and I couldn't do it. So that's my fault. Simple. And he went on to say later that doing it destroyed his relationship with Steven Spielberg. No, dude. You just ruined your own acting career by being a goof. Right. And even Harrison Ford, he was like, he was an idiot for criticizing the movie to the press and it and he made a complete numbskull out of himself by doing it and he mm-hmm. he probably ruined a lot of acting career for himself because of that performance guaranteed no i doubt. mean i and am I, and I, I am sugarcoating this too well yeah the and paragraph I don't know. that i got like the 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 whole the whole thing was pretty, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it was a little spicy with language. <laughs> yeah. And, in per, you know, personally, you know, he probably was burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was handpicked by Spielberg. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd seen him in Transformers. They saw him in another. Eagle Eye? Uh, Eagle Eye. That was another Spielberg produced See, I liked film. Eagle Eye. Sure. Eagle and, Eye was he, actually one of the the few Shia LaBeouf movies I actually enjoyed because it was was not him being him, right? And and, and that's what happened with with Transformers is that yeah. then they, he became 
you know, the Shia LaBeouf that we all saw. But when he was a young actor, uh, he was pretty solid. I mean, there's a movie that I remember that he was in uh, called Holes back in Mm. 2003, which I thought he was really good in. He was a good uh, child actor. And, um, you know, he had a couple of bit roles here and there. Mm -hmm. And then he was in, I think it was like Disturbia, then Transformers. Mm An yep. Eagle Eye. And I think Disturbia was the Spielberg directed movie that I was thinking about, not Eagle Eye. Mm. Um well, you know, Eagle then he got Eye into Wall like, Street. Yeah. Then he got into the Wall Street sequel. And it just like he had a whole pile of things that he was doing. And then, you know, Indiana Jones happened. Mm. You know, Transformers came out the year later. Uh, and Revenge I think of the Fallen. And I just think he problem, was burnt out. Yeah. I think part of the problem was having George Lucas have creative control for Shia LaBeouf's character. He wanted uh, well, to make yeah. an indie son. And it's like, he should right. have just been someone that Indy ran into. And maybe he should have been this different type of character that actually like got Indy out of the trouble. Kind of like a, a short round, <laughs> you know, kind of well, like I'm... that in a way, but a, you know, a little bit smarter not so goofy. It's the only way that they could add something new because I was thinking, you know, they, they did the double triple agent switcheroo thing, but that was already done with Elsa in yeah. Indiana Jones Last Crusade. But I'm yep. trying to think of like, do you bring Mac in at that point? Like, like, do we know who Mac is? And maybe we bring Mac in and Mac is a friend of Indiana Jones and tell him, hey, you have to go on this adventure, mm-hmm. double crosses him. But that just seems like it's something that we've already seen before. So the Harrison, so the Indiana Jones is a father with a son aspect can be interesting. The problem was, and I said this earlier, it didn't really get introduced until halfway through the movie because they again, just seemed like, you know, two people who happened to know Oxley and that's who they cared about. Again, Marion's name came up when she was Marion Williams. And, and, and then, you know, you don't make that connection. So they're just two people that, don't I mean Indiana Jones had more of a connection, more chemistry, and more of a history with Short Round mm-hmm. than he did with his own son in this movie. That <laughs> was the real, so. true paternal relationship that Indiana Jones had in Temple of Doom, and you felt it. Why? Because we see Shorty like almost right off the right off the top, and we get to there's exposition about mm-hmm. how they met. Yeah, they care. We know that yep. Short Round. Short Round just loves him like a father. Mm-hmm. Indiana Jones cares about him. You know, there's the scene where, you know, Indy slaps him across the face. But even if that happens, Short Round wants to save him. There's a mm-hmm. wonderful embrace before all hell breaks loose. And mm-hmm. it's, you can tell they care. This, yeah. this mm-hmm. was just, you're a snotty nose, smart ass <laughs> kid. Yeah. And, and I don't care about you. Mm-hmm. And then even when it became... Uh, you know, when it was revealed that he was his son, it just was yelling and bickering and, and it, it just, it didn't work. It no. didn't work at all. And it could have, mm-hmm. it could have just get a better writer. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about the score. Sure. Uh, because that's why we're here. This yep. is soundtrack alley and we want to talk about the soundtrack. Um, I think for this movie, um, there are several scenes in the movie 
that actually really highlight the score very well. We've talked a little bit about it with the beginning sequences with the um, the warehouse. And I think one of the, I mean, call me nostalgic, but one of the most awesome reveals at the beginning is the arc theme when the doors open. Right. When the doors open to that warehouse and you see all the boxes, it leads you all the way back to Raiders. Yeah. And I think I was critical of that moment uh, back when it happened, but having seen it, it's like, it makes sense. Like if you, I guess if you were in tune with what John Williams has written for Raiders of Lost Ark, then that, that tune makes sense. And then it's like, Oh, I kind of know where we are. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, they did a wonderful job of recreating the warehouse and I guess it's a, it's a neat um, bit of uh fan service to actually go back and yeah. see it. I don't think we necessarily needed to see the crate broken up, broken up mm. with the, with the arc. That would have been, I mean, that what would have been better is if Indy if it would opened? have actually seen it. Oh, yeah, maybe. If Indy I think it would have actually if it opened. seen it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Hey, um, no more Russians. Right. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I'm glad they didn't linger on that too much. And that it was then, you know, th- then we got back into our, our main story. Again, it was a, a neat idea with the fact that it was a, a magnetized box. But then, like, I mean, all the, all the mm-hmm. metal. Yeah. yeah. It should have pointed you in the direction without him having to do all that stuff to begin with. So that seemed a little bizarre. It was a suspension of disbelief. And, um, you know... I guess as you go through it, you're not really thinking about it. And then mm-hmm. when the movie ends, you're like, wait a minute. Shouldn't they all just kind of like, you know, shouldn't the, the guns have you know, led them there? Yeah. But I will say that that sequence um, is a wonderful setup because you have no idea what's happening. And that's mm-hmm. what I like about it. That's the mystery. But then by the time this whole sequence is over, the mystery's over. And you're 20 yeah. minutes into the movie and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what next? Yeah. Um, but I love the fact that Indiana Jones is figuring things out. Um, mm-hmm. he's smart. He knows what he's doing. Um, but God, the, the introduction of, of, of Spalco, she's, she's underrated. Mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett is underrated. She's yeah. a fantastic baddie. Oh yeah. She's a great bad guy. I love her character. <laughs> and she's and I, also, Oh, I she, she actually so trained good. with yeah. a rapier, but she's, forceful she's strong mm-hmm. she knows what she wants and that's where i also have an issue with what happened to her at the end because i don't really under- really understand what in the world happened at the end unless the aliens figured out that she wanted the knowledge for evil Power? and then they just destroyed know. her yeah but it was like I, whatever i don't understand it because it's just like her end was just the end she's mm-hmm. the bad guy so she has to die and that just didn't seem fitting to me um but i thought she was she was great. I love her introduction. I love mm-hmm. the saxophone for her theme. And then that whole sequence of them finding the uh, sarcophagus of the alien and the whole buildup in the music. I mean, John Williams's cue mm-hmm. is magnificent musical storytelling. Uh, you know, all those Mickey Mousing moments for the, yeah. the gunpowder. Oh, and, yeah. And when he yeah. drops the, the bullets and, and, and the way that he builds up Indy's ascent onto the boxes, you know, and mm-hmm. he's, he's towering over everybody and he's like, I've got this. And he's excited about the find again. I mean, even though he's 
he's being held captive. There's an excitement in him, a youthful excitement about mm-hmm. him finding, uh, finding this stuff. He's about as interested as the Russians are to yeah. see what's inside the box. And then, of course, he has to escape. But yeah. I would say that John Williams pretty much nails the first part of this movie with his score. Well, and the themes that he develops are very... Oh, so good. Very good. Um, I love... Uh, what was her name? Spalco? Spalco. Irina, yeah. yeah. Uh, Irina's theme is really good. It's very high Russian and but also very mysterious. Oh, mysterious and slithery. Yeah, and, it's and almost just... like a snake. Yeah. And, so and good. some people, you know, they may consider this score to not be that great. But I beg to differ. I think the score is actually very well done. Um it some people may consider it to be the weakest, but this is some very complex writing that John Williams did, even introducing new themes like, I mean, yes, Mutt is a terrible character, but his mm-hmm. theme is good. The mm-hmm. The score part of his theme is really actually pretty good. And the thematic choices that John Williams made, it really made the movie more um, valuable. Um, the execution of it uh, with those themes actually made sense. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I really like the score. I think it's very well done. Um, and I mean, let's see, it had been 1989, right? That Last Crusade was. And it wasn't until 2008 that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out. And here, John Williams is brought back into the world of Indiana Jones, and he's almost able to pick up where he left off. And just kept going. I mean, to me, I don't know. Sure. And, um, you know, if you want me to comment on the themes. Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> definitely. This I mean, is look, a, the, a going back and forth. <laughs> sure. I, I, look, as for the score structure, I think there are some rather anonymous cues. Mm. Seem kind of like filler, and they're not doing a whole heck of a lot dramatically. Mm. It doesn't happen a lot, but there's some cues that I'll listen to. I'm like, I don't even know what part of this movie's for. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, when you're thinking thematically, it's amazing what Williams came up with uh, for this movie. I will say that three of the four major new themes, I think, were were home runs mm-hmm. uh, as film music. Like Call of the Crystal. Yes. I think... It has the same air of of mystery and mysticism mm-hmm. as like the arc theme from Raiders of the yeah, Lost Ark. Yeah, I would agree. Really, yeah, really lovely, really simple. Um, mm-hmm. But when it plays, you you know what you're hearing. Irina's theme we had just mentioned is just pitch perfect for the character. Mm-hmm. The saxophone was wonderful uh, a choice for the the solo instrument for her, but it's a uh, it works every time it plays. There's a a separate Russian theme 
Yeah, um, what is that called? So it can it can either be uh, described as kind of the overall theme uh, for the Russians, and it it plays throughout the score, but doesn't. I mean, I wish it had its own concert suite. There is, or yeah, I mean, you can I call wish, it yeah. the 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 Jov, Dovchenko, uh, Dovchenko uh, theme, and that is the the big Russian baddie that he has the. A fist fight with and and the real main statements of that theme do happen during that ants sequence and mm, you can hear mm-hmm. it yeah. um it also plays in kind of like this and we'll play that later so. jazzier it almost seems jazzy because of the saxophones but it's played during uh the the first part of the the jungle chase as well mm-hmm. but then it has this wonderful um really quick um uh a kind of a cameo in the end credits and it sounds wonderful so I really do like that theme, and I wish it had received a, a concert arrangement, much like uh, Call the Crystal did, Arena's theme did. And then you have The Adventures of Mutt. Mm-hmm. The Adventures of Mutt on its own, I think, is a superb piece of music. Very good. It's, I, it, I like it. Just, it it brings you back itself. to kind of like those Errol Flynn, um, mm-hmm. you know, Eric Wolfgang Korngold, Max Steiner days. The The problem that I do have with it, though, is that... It doesn't necessarily have the dramatic impact that it should. It comes off a little bit more the kind of goofy, tongue-in-cheek, really old-school swashbuckling, especially mm-hmm. during that fencing uh, moment the when Jeep, I think Jeep yeah, fencing and moment. They play, <laughs> yeah, they, they play that more for laughs yeah. than they do for drama, mm-hmm. and I don't think if it would have been more dramatic of, music for that moment, yeah, it's it a bit been too a whimsical. Scene. Yeah, it's there's a couple of action cues here that are, I think, a bit too whimsical, like the world through um, Academe, which also feels like it's more goofy and slapstick mm-hmm. than it is like a dramatic chase where our two characters are in peril and have to escape. And it's more of like, hey, or what, what's the kind of cool things they're going to do and how funny is this going to be? And it's it's played more for for laughs and lightheartedness than it is a. Uh, like um like a desert chase or a, or a, a you know a fight by the airplane or the minecart mm-hmm. chase or whatever. I mean, and look, Indiana Jones is full of its kind of like light comedic, uh, goofy Moments. music. I mean, yeah. you think about the basket chase, basket chase. Um, yeah, that was my that my still, very thought. <laughs> but it still felt like Marion was in peril. Peril, yeah. Right. She was. It was. It was. It was a goofy little game, um, but it still was like indie. There, there's drama there and that and of course there's the swordsman halfway through that piece of music whereas the kind of like the motorcycle chase was just this very like i said overly whimsical busy john williams music which is i mean look look fantastic writing but mm-hmm. it's just like there's there's no dramatic anything to it you don't feel the sense of i don't think there's a sense of excitement it's just mm-hmm. here's a here's a chase scene and it's like all right let's kind of make it as as goofy as possible and um, I didn't well, really I mean, feel it. There's a few elements of the jungle chase that are actually pretty, I'd say, intense. Um, oh, n- no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Like the first and last third mm-hmm. are brilliant. I mean, that last bit of jungle chase, especially the, the original jungle chase like, music is, oh, it's it, it reminds me of the belly of the steel beast from Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. Super intense. It has that. It has that rhythm to it, mm-hmm. a rhythm that it kind of uses in his Olympic music, um, that that, that kind of like that militaristic march, mm-hmm. um, that galloping rhythm. And it's, a, a, you know, that sequence 
didn't deserve that music. Mm. <laughs> it was, <laughs> no, it you're was right. super intense. You're right. But even though the scene wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really weird, a weird combination of like w- what's going to work here and there. And it, it didn't really all that mesh all that well together mm-hmm. with the exception of a few sequences. I mean, Williams really tried his hard hardest to make Jungle Chase as intense as possible when you have, you know, swinging monkeys and Shia LaBeouf doing Tarzan through the jungle and, yeah. and everything is kind of like in CGI and you aren't really, um, you don't really believe that Indiana Jones is going to fall off that cliff. It's, you know, it, Williams is working hard, although man, then you get directly into the ants fight mm. um, or that ants scene. And even that looks phony because everything's, you know, CGI, it's ants all CGI. And, but there's an, it's really intense because mm-hmm. of Williams's music. That is yeah. one of the most intense action cues in the entire score. And mm-hmm. it's it's pretty well done. It's yeah. very well done. So yeah, it is. thematically, pretty much dead on, with the exception of kind of like that weird mutt music. Yeah. Um, and I think the application of the themes, uh, like for the Crystal Skull, mm-hmm. Irene's theme, the Russian theme, all really works. Uh, Indiana Jones's theme comes in at the right moments. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. first time we hear it for the reveal of Indiana Jones's silhouette on the uh, on the door of the Russian car, it's brilliant. Yes. Um, and yeah. then at the end of the movie, there are two absolutely spectacular cues that kind of rival some of the best um, Williams has written in the series. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a bit uneven, but yeah. there is a lot of greatness as well. Well, because like, uh, then you think about, um, well, we, we touched briefly on Mutt's theme, and while whether that material is actually a really a theme or if it's a motif more or less i mean mm. you know it's there's there's a theme to it but like the character is treated in this frenetic spirit you know like like you mentioned like a swashbuckling um hero but then it's not very unlike uh, the Scherzo for Motorcycle and Orchestra mm-hmm. or Escape from Venice. Those cues are kind of similar to it, but Williams gave it more meat yes. for those those sequences and in that's that key. film. Yes. And in this movie, there's not a lot of meat. <laughs> right. It's a lot of veggies. it's a it's a kind of a light score um which doesn't make it you know uh, through a lot of the music it doesn't hold up that well well let me tell you something uh spielberg would later on go and direct the adventures of tintin Mm -hmm. and i would say that this type of music fits and Adventures Tintin of Tintin better than it does Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And Tintin also has that kind of light, whimsical uh, quality to it. Yeah. Um, but I feel that that tone works way better in Tintin than it does in Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Because I think Indiana Jones needs something stronger, meatier, <laughs> Um, it needs something that it will ground it. Like yeah. there's, it's such a fantastical story. It needs something to ground it a bit in reality. I mean, you can still have your 
your your your heroic themes, but I think that if you're going to do an action sequence and you want to take that action sequence seriously, mm-hmm. then I think more serious, threatening, thrilling type music. Again, think of like the the slalom music from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at one of the most ridiculous sequences of hmm. you know Indy parachuting out with two other people with a dinghy. And then slaloming yeah. down a mountain and, and then, you know, falling off that mountain into a racing river. But listen to how serious uh, John Williams is taking that scene mm-hmm. and, and, and making us believe that our characters are in peril. Yeah. And that they might not make it. Mm-hmm. You know, even though that there's that beginning of the Indiana Jones theme when he, when he gets out because, you know, Indiana Jones is using his brains and, you know, he's done something smart and... And, you know, it's, oh, great. We got out of the plane and before it crashes into the, into the mound, but now what? And then the music changes on a dime mm-hmm. and that tone changes. And now it's like, oh my God, they're still in trouble. Right. Yeah. So I love that type of story, that musical storytelling where Williams can say, oh, they're safe, but wait, now they're not. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that from the, the chase uh, throughout the, the university. I didn't yeah. get it for like half of the jungle chase. And, um, although I will say that the kind of the action music for the warehouse was, was pretty solid. Um, there's some pretty oh, yeah. wild writing for that one too. So, you know, tonally it's a bit of a, it's been all over the place. You're not mm-hmm. sure. So. Yeah. And the thing about it is that, that there's use of the themes from the previous films Um, and I mean, I think that helps us stay connected to our character and to the events and characters and adventures that he's had previous, um, Marion's theme shows up, uh, you know, the, the Raiders theme, of course, and we get the arc theme and a few other niblets (laughs) of other themes from the previous films that show up in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And I mean, I think that grounds us in the character. But, you know, I agree. It there's a few pieces like the departure and the finale that really oh, wow. shine. I mean, oh, those yeah. shine because Williams was at his best. He was giving this great um like this awesome mighty power, you know, th- this mystery, this uh, final determination, you know, and um, it's it's almost an escape, you know, you're you're trying to escape from it, or you know, escape from this encounter that they're having at the end of the movie, and I mean, I think that's where William shines, but through a lot of the movie, you don't see it. And it's too bad that he only, it's too bad Spielberg only stuck to one hemisphere. In the yeah, film. I agree. I like, agree. Like we only got, you know, one portion of the hemisphere. Yeah. It would have been neat to be either in Russia. Like it would have been great. Like if they, if the government had said, all right, you know, we need you to take a, take a look at Irina. And what mm-hmm. she's doing, you know, and, and this is where like half of the movie could have been a spy movie. So maybe, mm-hmm. you know, Irene has gone from Nevada 
and maybe she went back home to report on something or something. I don't, I don't know how they would have done it, but maybe they went to, well, it's not a very, it's not, I don't know, whatever it is, but it would have been great to go to Russia. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they travel back and they've deciphered something that says, Hey, now we need to go to Peru. Yeah. And, but the fact that you're, you know, Mexico, Nevada to Peru, you're right. You're on one hemisphere. It just seems to be, um, yeah. And that's, that's what I like about Indiana Jones. But I mean, that's the thing about even Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom takes place in Shanghai and then, mm-hmm. you know, Indian Pancot Palace. Um, that's not really a globe trotting adventure, but at least you get to see two different places. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, um, yeah, I, I like when he, you know, like, that's what I liked about Last Crusade. They went all over the place. Oh, and that's yeah. fun. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. That's a lot of travel. That's a lot of map music, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get um, a lot of that. In, he didn't in, get a lot of that. Um, yeah. But it's, you're right. Some of it, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if that's the biggest criticism, but it, I did notice that last night watching it where it's like, wow, they're just kind of like in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but it wasn't- just, it wasn't that adventurous. Well, they just seemed to go from one place to one place to one place to one place. And it just didn't seem like any of that was overly dangerous or things resolved itself really quick. Mm-hmm. Like when you had all those um, native, well, I don't even know what you would call them. How do you not, I mean, what were they called that all came out of like the There were some kind of, of uh, I had it in my notes at one time and called? then I deleted it. <laughs> but like, they seemed like the guardians of this of this temple and they just like, have they been living in those walls all that time? And, and they just, they came and went like within 60 seconds, Mm -hmm. they were done and there was nothing there that, I mean, that could have led to something interesting and something fun. Yeah. You know, the waterfalls, oh my Lord, that was overkill. Mm -hmm. That was just overkill. Yeah. It it was was. again, they went for laughs and it was like, it wasn't funny. It just Mm -hmm. went on and on, and then you know Marion doing stupid stuff like you know jumping off a cliff and onto a tree into the water and then that tree mm. snaps back and hits a couple of it's like it's all slapsticky it's like that's goofy mm-hmm. and it's too goofy to for us to go all oh, right that's neat goofy you know mm. it's just it's yeah. it just like, why are you doing that <laughs> yeah so yep. you know there's just and then I mean I I do like the what was it? What was, I know it's called like the hidden treasure in the city of God on the yeah, soundtrack. It, it's uh, the city of gold. Uh, city of oh, sorry, the city it's, of gold, um, not city of God. What are those four uh, p- um, pillars the hidden that they have treasure there where they take out in the city of gold, and then yeah. temple ruins and the secret reveal. Yeah, and that's a different sequence. But when mm-hmm. they um, you know are taking the blocks out with the sand, and then yeah. those pillars rise up, and then they sink down, and they have to escape oh, yeah, from those stairs. To, yep, yep. You know, there's some. There's some really interesting things there where, I mean, you could eat, you could have taken some time to figure out, you know, how in the world they're going to get to where they are. But it just seemed like, oh, we're just going to smash some rocks on here and then we escape. Then it's the stairs, which like, like takes like 30 seconds and it doesn't seem to be all that dangerous because it happens too quick. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's just like that slow run through the, through the, you know, the, the underbelly of the pyramid and finally get to the temple. But even that seemed to be too easy to access. And, Mm -hmm. but once we got there and the secret was revealed, it was quite an interesting sequence when, you know, when it eventually turned into like that trans dimensional portal Mm. and, you know, Irina finally died, but why did she die? 
Nico, why was she the only one there <laughs> and mm-hmm. having her head explode? But, you know, then to see this flying saucer, which again, seems ridiculous. But then you think about what Indiana Jones has been through all in the other movies. Yeah. It's like, it really isn't that ridiculous. No. And I thought that whole reveal was one of the greatest special effect shots I've ever seen. Yeah. Just the way that the temple crumbles, uh, the spaceship, you know, uh, reveals off. itself, yeah. takes off. And then the, you know, the water all comes in and, um, what was the line that Oxley said? Um, as if they took a broom to their footsteps or something like that. Yeah. And just wiped it away. I thought, man, that is super cool. And I love that. I think it's Indy's the only one that actually witnesses it happening mm-hmm. because, um, Mutt was eyes were closed and, and Marion's eyes were closed. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that him standing there and watching this all happen, I thought was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so it was a satisfying ending uh, for me, mm-hmm. for that part. Yeah. yeah. Not so much. For, the, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we yeah. know how we feel about Indiana Jones. <laughs> it should have ended with Last Crusade. Uh, you know what? And if that's the way you end your show, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it should have ended. Yep. With Last Crusade. <laughs> There's no better ending than them riding into the sunset. That's right. That's right. End of show. No. Um, <laughs> we have we have some music to actually play uh, for our audience today. Um, let's begin by looking at, let's look at the favorite cues of this score. Uh, first, let's begin with the spell of the skull. The Call of the Crystal in The Adventures of Mutt. Now, we've covered Adventures of Mutt quite frequently. Yep. For me, Spell of the Skull gives us something very reminiscent with motifs from the previous indie films, which I like because it gives us the continuity. And I've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. The Call of the Crystal is ominous and foreboding. Um, it's almost sinister um i love how it plays even with indy's theme um in amongst all that and then we have of course the adventures of mutt uh where it's supposed to be a continuation of the lines of the joneses but as we know there's only one indiana jones but i love how john williams plays with the idea um even in the chase scene um, given that, you know, John Williams was given the theme, you know, he was, he was given the creative control to actually create a theme for Mutt. And he did a fairly, well, a fairly good job with it. So, and we've talked about that. Well, yeah, I mean, there's even a, there's even a play on the Indiana Jones theme, which he kind of rearranges slightly for Mutt and you hear it. Um, most clearly when he's swinging through the jungle, right? It sounds like Indiana Jones's theme, but it's not quite. And that's kind of like the the alternate Indiana Jones theme for Indiana Jones and Son. So an interesting play on a classic theme. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have anything to add regarding like the um the spell of the skull? I think I mentioned earlier, it's just a brilliant uh, piece of musical storytelling. I mean, you can, if you've seen the movie, then you, when you hear the music, you, you're seeing that scene clear as day, just written through the, through the, the music. There's an, 
there's a there's an urgency to it. Um, it's kind of awe-inspiring. Um, you can feel the excitement mm-hmm. that Indiana Jones is feeling at the time, even though, like I said, he's he is captured. But there's just like, hey, we're going to discover what this is, and he's um, he's he's willing to figure that out. And you can just you can hear it in the music as it just slowly kind of builds and builds and builds. And yeah, um, there's some just there's some amazing sync points that Williams hits in that cue, and it just just showcases that you know Williams is still on the ball mm-hmm. back in 19 uh, back in t- 2008 you know writing the score as if he was back in 1981 writing for the first one yeah yeah and that's 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 my proven point is that even though this score is in 2008 uh we get the elements of the previous Indiana Jones and it actually feels like a previous Indiana Jones through the music not through the movie. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so why don't we go ahead and play those cues?
Next on our program, I'd like to tackle Irina's theme, the entire jungle chase, and ants. Now, for me, the tension in the jungle chase and ants is just astounding. When I was listening to uh, the music of it last night, I was just blown away. Like, John Williams really pulled out all the stops for this to make it a really exciting, really exciting piece of music for me. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, um, again, it kind of kicks into that more uh, whimsical territory right at the beginning. I mean, he's mm-hmm. accenting each punch. Um, and he's done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Marion's theme makes a return right at the beginning and, uh, but then there's, you know, the excitement that builds throughout this chase and, uh, you know, halfway through, we've already mentioned that the adventures of Mutt pops up for the fencing scene, which doesn't do a whole heck of a lot for me. But once that fencing scene is over, mm-hmm. you know, Williams turns it up for the last, I'd say four minutes and just writes this pulse pounding, super exciting, quintessential Indiana Jones galloping adventurous piece of music that adds excitement to a scene that just seems like it's failing because mm-hmm. there's no excitement whatsoever. It's <laughs> a bit goofy. Yeah. The CGI is obvious. Like you can tell mm-hmm. that these people are not driving on that road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as they're on the edge of the cliff, it just doesn't seem to be there. that dangerous. Yeah. Um, 
but Williams is doing his best to try and make us feel something uh, during this sequence. Now, in the movie, um, we hear the the alternate version of the Jungle Chase. It was changed a bit and altered and truncated, um, I think, to add that newish um, kind of uh, alternate Indiana Jones theme for Mutt mm-hmm. um, swinging through the jungle. But the original version is just full throttled, and we don't get any of that type of music um, in the Jungle Chase and it just feels like it. I think it's better. It's way better. It progresses even more, and it gets more angry, and it gets more thrilling, and it just it feels like a, a more complete piece of music without having to to kind of like stop and hit a certain you know sync point here and there. Although I mean I praise that all the time, but it just feels like it's more coherent, mm-hmm. and it just feels more powerful. So, um, but as a whole, the whole thing. I mean, as a standalone piece of music, it's just an absolute joy to to listen to the entire Jungle Chase and. And hopefully one of these days, I mean, we get more than just the, the, the four and a half minutes that were poorly edited on the uh, the original album, because the mm. entire nine, ten minute sequence is, it's, well, it's the, just rock solid. There's, well, like we were talking off air, um, there are actually two soundtracks uh, that aren't the commercial release. One is the expanded score. Um, well, it was an Entrada, I believe. For Crystal Skull? Yeah, I thought there no, was... It, no, no see, I know the... what it was. It was the, the, the Indiana Jones soundtrack collection. Um, right. It's like all four, including yeah. interviews with John Williams and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Yes. On Which those... from the DVD. Yeah. Behind yeah. the scenes. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's it's all part of that sure. collection. Yeah, that's um, the Concord release. Yeah, okay, all right, Concord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, can't, I, I thought I'd researched it well enough. Nope. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but, those, are the most, those are the most recent expansions. Yeah. Um, and and they're, not, they're not great, mm. but it's better than nothing. But It was a nine-minute queue for the Jungle Chase. And that wasn't on that. It was the original release. Yeah. And the only then, way that we're hearing, the only way we're hearing nine to 10 minutes of it is that it was played on the recording sessions. Well, the recording sessions, uh, but you also hear it during the DVD segment where they're doing the previs, uh, mm-hmm. the computer generated previs, and they let you see how they pre visualized the scene for the jungle trace from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. And you get the entire queue um, on the DVD or Blu ray. Okay. And so what was so weird about the Concord release, I mean, don't get me started on what they did with Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, but the expanded Raiders, not that great. Temple of Doom, uh, we got a lot more music than what we did before, but still there's issues with that one. We get a lot of music on um, Last Crusade, and that sounds great. The thing is, disc four was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and it was the original album. Mm-hmm. It wasn't expanded. It wasn't anything. It was just kind of thrown in there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, come on. You... <laughs> What are you doing? Put some effort into this. You know, and that's and that is it. The Concord release is just so flimsy and 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 just lacking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Completely yeah. lacking yeah. what most expanded releases get these days. So one of these days, hopefully we get everything done properly. Mm-hmm. And uh Maybe get But hey, we're still waiting release. for Star Wars, so who, who in the <laughs> world knows when <laughs> Indiana Jones is gonna happen? But that's a good point. Yeah, but 
as you said, there have been other leaks or whatnot where the complete score with alternates and things like that have been made available. And, and on top of that, if you want to listen to the Jungle Chase in its complete form, you can hear it on the DVD. To continue, uh, what I'd like to do is play these cues with the Irina theme, the Jungle Chase, and Ants. And we'll enjoy those.
All right, so sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for composing Soundtrack Alley's theme music. Lastly today on the show, I'd like us to play Temple Ruins and Secret Revealed, The Departure, and the nice, concise portion of the ending credits cue. I found that Temple Ruins and The Secret Revealed, it brings out a mystery of what Indiana Jones does. He not only is searching for artifacts, but sometimes it's about who he's looking for. Like Oxley. You know, trying to help Oxley piece together his mind. And then he strives to help others where he can, like in Temple of Doom. Um, and really makes it up as he goes along <laughs> to accomplish that purpose. Um, and Ox is one of the leads for this cue, and I love it. Um, John Hurt, even though, I mean, it, it's sad that his role wasn't given a little greater depth because John Hurt is such a good actor. Mm-hmm. He's such a good actor. And I don't think he was given enough uh, for this movie. And then we have The Departure, which is, of course, the alien and the mysterious, adventuresome piece of music of the escape and uh, the reveal of the spaceship and uh, that it leaves the planet and that we have this ending cue with the new coda, which is really cool. I really like that like how John Williams actually altered the Raiders March to change it, uh, to give it some extra extra beats almost, in a way. Because, I mean, I love the original Raiders March, but what John Williams does to this one, he gives us those added pieces to really kind of tie up the film. Um, what are your thoughts, Eric? Yeah, these last two cues, uh, major cues from the score, I think are just some of the best in the entire score. Um, It it brings me back to the awe and wonder of the miracle of the Ark from Raiders of the Lost Ark or when when Indiana Jones gets the Shankara Stones or, you know, when we hear that Grail theme at the end of Last Crusade, it, it just heat. He nails this. Well, I think I mentioned before that this this mysticism, this the mystery, the mm-hmm. the danger, and it's there's some real exceptional uh, writing uh, during this sequence, and there's a lot happening as well. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's it really is one of the rare, uh, truly emotional moments in it because you're wondering what is happening and you're, you're kind of like, Hey, how is Indiana Jones going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. And he decides he's not going to interfere and he's going to take off, but he really still wants to help his friend Mac, even though he's double crossed him twice. And, and, uh, and I think it's a thrilling uh, ending to the movie. And then once they're, you know, shot out of the well um, due to the rushing water um, Mm -hmm. that is present um, as the aliens are, are trying to, to eventually escape or leave earth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Indiana Jones is just standing on top of this cliff. And, and as I said, it's just this one continuous effect shot of watching the pyramid collapse. And then this, 
you know, the rocks rise up and swirl around as this flying saucer comes out of the ground and yeah. heads to a different dimension. But you listen to Williams' music and it's it, you just kind of feel for how Indiana Jones is witnessing this. And it's just like the most amazing, crazy, weirdest thing he's ever seen. And he's seen some absolutely bonker stuff mm. throughout his entire life. But he's now watching a UFO, mm. you know, rise up from the ground. And there's this, just this spectacular, you know, run from the trumpets uh, from John Williams into this fanfare. And then there's this, like, this fanfare call, which is the call of the crystal. Mm-hmm. Um, but in more of a, like this upbeat, as this a fanfaric type of version. And it's just a, the woodwinds are going crazy. It's incredible. Spine tingling. Mm-hmm. I watched it again last night. And I thought, man, that's one of those rare scenes in this film where it's just everything's working perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it just is such a... And we all complain about the CGI in this movie. But that sequence is just awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. It incredible. is. And it's because... Of, and Williams's music is shining on top of all of this. He's, he's taking control of that. And it's yeah. just two and a half minutes of, of just glorious music and then you know the finale and end credits it's it's actually a pretty good end credit suite you know it's mm-hmm. indiana jones's theme it's irena's theme we get that um you know new arrangement of the of the russian theme um that we haven't heard in the film before mm-hmm. um an extension of the avengers of mutt it then goes into marion's theme which i could have done without mm-hmm. um, we don't need to hear it again but then as you said for the last about minute minute and a half maybe we get this new coda Mm-hmm. Of Indiana Jones's theme, which mixes kind of the the new arrangement that Williams has given sort of the Indiana Jones theme to Mutt as well. It isn't exactly Indiana Jones's theme, but it's in the same language. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting play in a, in a very different ending to any of the other Indiana Jones adventures. So it's just great to hear uh, John Williams feel inspired to do uh, something different at the end of this picture. Yeah, and I think that's really important for John Williams to do that because anything that he's done, any sequel that he's done to a film that he's already previously done, um, he's tried to improve upon it. Or not really Mm. improve, but make it better for himself. Yeah, do something different. Because even, (laughs) even when examining Star Wars... John Williams still has been known to alter things, to change things, to do something different that you didn't hear previous. True. And, I mean, yes, he's done nine of them. Right. uh, But each film progresses. Each score progresses. And each film, you get new themes and everything. And... With Indiana Jones, you get the same thing. You get new themes. You get changes from the original themes. And I think it's really well done. I just I just do. I mean, the score. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There's elements of the score I do not like. But there's themes, a thematic material that John Williams has done. And we can't discount that. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing to add. You're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Eric, where can people find you? Oh, sure. Uh, 
You can find me on Twitter at Sound Radio, Facebook at Cinematic Sound. I'm on Instagram. Uh, you can also check out uh, Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net, where uh, Randy also has a show called The Anime Spectacular. Great show. Which so, I'm wearing the Anime Spectacular t-shirt and tonight. And I saw that picture today, and that was so awesome. That is so awesome. It's great seeing those logos on, you know, people wearing those logos. I just, yeah. That, that, that just, yeah. It's fun. It's fun to see that. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, that's where you can find me. And you know, you want to chat me up? Go for it. T Public. Go to T Public. Yeah. To get yeah. any you of your get yourself an anime spectacular shirt. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It is. Um, <laughs> no, it really is. I think. I mean, it's wonderful to be able to talk about this because um, having a venue to have merchandise. For say podcasting, it's just fantastic to be able to get that in one place. Um, and a lot of the merch that's there is all different. I really yeah. found it really, it was hard to pick. <laughs> I'm glad you picked your own shirt, honestly. I know <laughs> I some too. people that I am too. I, there's, there's a couple of people that I even even picked their own shirt. Oh, so, weird. Um, it's it's, it's, like it's my I think, show. I think, well, some people are like, oh, what? I have my shirt with my own name on it. I'm like, do I really want people Why to know not? who I am? But I'm like, yeah, that's pretty neat. But I just, I think it's, I just can't believe people are buying this stuff. I mean, I can understand you buying Anime Spectacular. It makes per- perfect sense. But the fact that we were, the sale that we, you know, the sales that we've done so far, it's been mm-hmm. amazing. And I've seen pictures from people I don't even know. And they're sending mm-hmm. me stuff going, hey, I got my mug. Hey, I got my shirt. Hey, I got the sticker. And it's. I'm just like, wow, that's, that's so amazing. It's so amazing. I'm just waiting for the day when I have to meet somebody, you know, and they're wearing my shirt. I'm just like, what do I do? Um, and I told somebody, I said, I'd, I'd probably hug them. I'd get arrested, yeah. but I'd be just like, thank you very much. That is so neat Yeah, that you spent your hard earned money to buy, you know, my, the logo tee for my podcast. It's yeah. just, it's, and I know, and I know, you know, Thousands of people have done it before. It's just, but this is something new to me. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this for almost 25 years. Yeah. And so it's really fantastic. So, yeah. It's exciting. It um, is exciting. And to be uh, in among that excitement. I, I love well, it. I love having you on it, board. So I hope everybody listens to Soundtrack great. Alley also listens to Anime, Spectac- Anime Spectacular as well. Well, and uh, even all the other shows on Cinematic Sound Radio. Because it's like... All the shows are just really good. I just yeah, I I love all of them, and I mean I think it's a it's a wide range of film music, and we get some stuff that we've never heard before. True, and I think it's brilliant. In fact, if Scored to Death is listening, mm-hmm. uh, I wish. I mean, you know, if he's doing a a horror soundtrack show podcast he should he should join us <laughs> he should join us and i know what that would be that would be an honor i love his book mm-hmm. um he's writing the second one so you know i'm gonna put a plug in for him anyway go to score to death uh jay blake jay blake Fischera. uh he wrote this amazing book with uh horror composers he did interviews with them and so uh, it's all basically, that's what the book is. So it's just all the interviews and it's fascinating, just fascinating. It's like all, it's some of the, you know, like uh, there's Nathan Barr, Christopher Young, 
Henry Manfredi. Um, you th- I think Howard Shore's in the book. Is Howard Shore in the book? I think so. Anyway, but he's doing a second one. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's they're just absolutely fa- he's fascinating. He's got Brad so, Fidel. Yes, yes. It. And speaking of Brad Fidel, we're going to have him on the show tomorrow on Cinematic Sound. So, oh, that's awesome. Uh, Jason Drury interviewed him. So yeah, so Sweet. scored to death. Um, check him out on Twitter. Okay. Uh, he has his own podcast as well, not scored death, which he did have. Um, he did have a horror. He's show doing on a new one. Network. He's doing a he's new one. He's thinking of doing a new one, yep. but he he had his own. Um, what's it called? It's it's fascinating as well. Um, he does. It's something he's been doing for a, a while now, and well, look him up. Yeah, and you can find it. It's re- so yeah. Just if, if if you don't mind, just find him at Scored to Death on Twitter, mm-hmm. and you know buy his book. And, you know, he does the score to death podcast as well. And he interviews people on his own podcast. And, and so it just, the, the book's fascinating. He's fascinating. And, uh, yeah, check him out. It's, um, and support him. I mm-hmm. hope everybody buys his new, his new book. The guy's worked really, really hard on it. So, yeah, yeah. He's, and, uh, it's, it's been his, uh, it's a lot of pain and misery to have to, Try to find those people and interview them and yeah. really dig deep into what made them do certain horror scores and everything. I mm-hmm. think I had a chance to talk to him as well, and he he praised me for doing a tribute to um, Bob Cobert, uh, oh, yeah. who's the composer of Dark Shadows, not the movie the soap opera Mm -hmm. and i mean he did fascinating stuff back in the 70s uh so yeah that's my unplug for him too he's he's a really really fascinating guy and i i enjoyed talking to him so here's my plug uh find me on social media through facebook twitter and instagram all at soundtrack alley um the podcast you can find it on all different types of Podcatchers, Anchor.fm, um, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Radio Public, uh, Google. Yeah, I already said Google Podcast. <laughs> Apple Podcast. It's been a long night. It has. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there's all different types of venues you can find the podcast on. Um, check out my website, soundtrackally.com. I recently did an did a review of the score to um the personal uh the personal life of David Copperfield. Yes. Um I listened to the score. I had no um knowledge of what the film's like. So I had to go off my own thoughts for what the pieces of music were like. Mm-hmm. And so I can't wait to really actually see that film. And see what it's like. So check out that. I have a few other written interviews on um, my uh, website. Uh, so everyone can even check out that. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, uh, email me. SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com. So lastly today, let's go ahead and play these final cues. Which if some had forgotten, we're going to play... The Temple Ruins and The Secret Revealed, The Departure, 
and part of the ending cue, which is the final end credits part, partly. And so until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, and David Cosina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sinsound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show and write a brief review. Reviews help introduce potential listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to Tee Public to get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.